Hello and welcome to the first edition of Tom and Tyler Talk Boxing. We are on site at Tommy Ann Keller's World Class Boxing Gym. I am, of course, with the owner, Mr. Tommy Ann Keller, and with recent Golden Glove, National Golden Glove winner, Keontae Irving. Did I say that right? I didn't ask. Yes, yes. All right. Um, so I'll talk to Tom first about the recent win. Was this, you know, was he a favorite? Was this unexpected? Or obviously you expected it, but, you know, what did people outside of here think? Uh, I, you know, I, I think people were curious because he had been at 178 pounds uh, the previous year, and he was a, a bronze medalist in the 178-pound uh, weight class in 2017. So, you know, like I was telling you earlier, we were talking that, you know, I, I had brought him down from really not, I mean, he, what, he basically, when he was fighting at 178, he was 171, 172 walking around. So, uh, and he would wake up sometimes at 169, 168 pounds. So, and then he was, you know, he eat a meal, he'd be 172 pounds and we're, and we're fighting guys that really were probably coming down from 185, 182, making 178. So, I mean, he was probably, a lot of the guys that were fighting at 178 were probably getting in the ring 181, 182, 180, because yeah. they weigh in the morning of the, fight, of the fight and then they fight in the evening. So Keontae was walking around. He wasn't putting on weight. You know, he was just walking around making 178. We were eating whatever we wanted to eat, and he was weighing 172. So he's given up 10 pounds in that, in a, in that weight class at 78. So uh, I think people were curious to see what he was going to do at 165 um, because they didn't know if the weight was going to affect him and he wasn't going to be able to be. You know, I got a lot of criticism for bringing 165 pounds because they felt like he wasn't going to be as strong as he was yeah. at 170, he wasn't going to be. He wasn't going to be strong. You know, he was going to be weak at 165. So, uh, you know, I think that was. It was curious. A lot of people really didn't weren't believers. You know, but yeah. I. But I knew what I had to do, and I knew the way to do it. And and to his credit, he trusted me, and he believed in me. And uh, I gave him the program. I gave him. I gave him the uh, the game plan on how to make the weight strong. I gave him what we had to do. And he followed to a T. You know, we, we put some things in, like intermittent fasting. Yeah. And uh, I taught him a lot about hydration and, uh, and how to hydrate and to take the water out and to rehydrate. It's like taking it, you know, putting the water in, taking the mm -hmm. water out. It's all timing. It's all timing, you know. He was actually fighting those fights just as heavy as he was when he fought at 178. Because he would weigh 165 in the morning, but by the time we fought those fights, he was 172. So, but when he was fighting 178, he was walking around at that weight. He would wake up in the morning at 168, 169, eat a meal or two, it would be 172. Really so really we were losing three to four yeah. pounds that we hadn't lost before. And like I said, it was all timing. It wasn't like he was walking around at 65. When you get, you get dehydrated when you walk around at a weight for a long period of time. But we were cutting the weight at night in the steam, and he would wake up in the morning. He would usually be right on. Uh, he would go to sleep maybe uh, two pounds off the weight. So in other words, he before we would go to bed, he might be 169, 170 after his fight. He'd fight at 172. He'd drop a couple pounds. We'd come back to the hotel after the fight. He'd be 170. We'd go do the steam. He'd drop three pounds to 67. He'd drift two pounds in his sleep. He'd wake up 65 on so the really, bottom. So really, that's not a taxing weight. It wasn't, yeah. So it was basically, we did it. We did it like a science. It was a plan, you know, and we did it. We knew exactly how to do it. And uh, he, he, he did it beautiful I mean he followed it and we did it and I mean he was weighing every day 
164.8 to 165 on the button. I mean, we weren't mm -hmm. giving up any weight, too. We were, like, getting right where we wanted it, and then we'd go right back up. After weigh-in, he would drink a half a gallon of uh, pediatric electro electrolyte okay. solution, yeah. coconut water. Yeah. <laughs> and then he would drink coconut water, and I'd put Himalayan pink salt. It's got, like, 87 trace minerals. It gets all your minerals back in you, magnesium, potassium. So I would throw a bunch of that in there. And he would, he would consume about a half a gallon of fluid before he would even eat a meal just to get the hydration back yeah. to where it was. He'd go right back up to where his walk morning weight would usually be at 68, 69. Then he would go and he would eat his meals. Uh, he would eat his breakfast. And he would probably be at 171, 172 after his breakfast. And then, you know, as the day would drift on, he would maybe drift a few pounds back down to 69, and then during the after early afternoon, I would hydrate him again with another half gallon of fluid. He'd go back up to 71. He'd have another meal. He'd get it be about 72, 73. By then we would cut the food off. He'd eat twice a day, okay. and then by the time he fought, he would be in the ring 72, 73. And I think a lot of the kids that he was fighting were 67, 68. They'd only be two or three pounds, you know. Yeah. Over, but we had it down to where. I feel like he really had a four or five pound advantage. And everybody says, he's fighting at 65. He doesn't look any different than he did when he was 78, because he really wasn't. But it was just the way we did it. We did it in science, and that's what made it happen. And, uh, and uh, that's, you know, like I said, I got a lot of criticism, but when you deliver a Golden Glove, national Golden Glove champion, I mean, I think the results speak for themselves. Which uh, we should mention, we were talking earlier, we believe only the third out of Pittsburgh, right? Um, and the first in twenty-two, uh, twenty-two years. Nineteen ninety-six was. Uh, I saw an article. Yeah. You were two. The last time we had one. Right. So it's right. been a while. Um, and as far as I can look, as far as I can see, I mean, I look and I look and I look and I like I said, and over the years, I've heard that these guys were national Gold Glove champ. I heard that uh, Carmi Price was national Golden Glove champion from Ambridge. Uh, but if you look at the record books, his name is not there. So no. uh, no, if, if you if you if you didn't see it either, correct? No. So you know, as far as I'm as far as the history books show, he's the first kid from Beaver County in the history of the National Golden Gloves since 1923. That's a long time to win the National Golden Gloves. So that's a it's a big accomplishment. Now you mentioned it, um, trust. He's been with you his whole since he's come in here. Correct. How much do you think? You know, you go to him and say, look, we're going to go down. How much do you think that trust, and he can answer this too, you guys can right. both speak on it, but how much do you think the trust played into delivering this Golden Glove championship? Well, I, I think it was huge because I think, I mean, he listened to me, but I mean, he'd have to answer that. But I think that, like, if someone else would have gave him that plan and maybe in a different kind of way, I think I had the knowledge that I gave him and I educated him on how we're going to do it. And then when you educate somebody on how you're going to do something, it makes them have, you know, the concept. So when they have the concept, then they can believe you because you're, you're educating them on how you're going to do it. You know, some people just say, oh, let's go to 65 with no plan, no yeah. way to do it. Yeah. You know, so, you know, so, uh, but he could answer that himself. Yeah. How did, how did, you know, when he come to you with this plan, how did that, how did the trust that you've been together since you were 16 years old, you know, lead you to this moment? I mean, it starts from the beginning. Like uh, when we first started out, you gotta listen to what he's saying. You wanna learn how to do this science, the sweet science of the game, you know. And he knows his stuff. So each fight we had, he set up a new game plan. I don't know how he did it. He's been studying boxing for years. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? <laughs> I 
but um, I just we just built that trust from over time, I guess. And uh, ever since then, it got me to Golden Glove National. So what was that moment like where you I, – I, I read in uh, one of the papers where, you know, you felt like you always got to work, you always got to work, so you weren't super confident you were getting your hand raised. So what was the moment like when they, you know, announced you as the winner? Uh, no, I wouldn't say I wasn't super confident. I was confident in my game. But uh, I always say that because it keeps uh, you motivated, keeps me humble. Yeah. You know, I'm a, if people know me, they say I'm a very humble guy, <laughs> you know. So I just keep that mindset because this is not the end. It's just it's the beginning, you know. It's not, it's a nice time to celebrate, but I don't have that as my destination yet, you know. Yeah, this is just a stop. Just, to a, the, just a stop, you yeah. know. Raise, you know, have your cake and ice cream, Yeah. you know. <laughs> And then keep it going, keep it pushing, keep grinding for the uh, real goal that you set. You know, sky's the limit. So you you uh, started here at 16, correct? Um, that's not super early. You know, a lot of kids start super early. 16 is borderline late. You're what eight years into it, and you're you know a national Golden Gloves champion. What what did he bring to the table where you're like, all right, you know, this kid. At 16, is someone that I can take, even with a little bit of a late start. Right. You know, I can take this kid all the way. Like, what jumped out to you immediately? Well, just to go back on the process for a second, you know, like, uh, yeah, it, you know, he, he did start a little late, but it's funny because the other kid that I had that won the U.S. Uh, US championships was for Quan Kimbrough, and I had started him at 11. He became national champion at 19. Keontae so was 16. Years. It was eight years, the yeah. same. Keontae was 16 and 24. So, you know, it's definitely, it was, eight, it was an eight-year process of both guys. Um, what I always liked about Keontae is uh, I felt like he had a good uh, mannerism, actually, in the ring when I, first time I ever seen him spar. I think that he had a, he, he was uh, very uh, relaxed in a natural kind of way. Um, where a lot of kids you have to actually, like, there's certain kids that you have to, like, you know, you have to uh, slow them down. Mm -hmm. And then there are certain kids where you actually have to speed them up yeah. a little bit, get them to motivate. You know, with him, uh, I, you know, he, he, he actually had the relaxation. And then I just had to work on him getting in better shape and, and getting him more of a punch output. A lot of kids get in the ring, they're, uh, they're wild, and the output yeah. is crazy. His was like the opposite, you know. So my thing was that I just had to build from this way his relaxed state was. And that's something I really – usually don't have to deal with you usually have to deal always with calming a kid down he goes in there and he just throws a bunch of punches yeah. and burns himself up you know what I mean yeah. he was he was relaxed he never he never uh he wasn't a kid that I had to calm down he was just a kid we had to continue to work on getting in better shape and the thing that I always think that really stuck out with me with him is that the first time I ever held hand pads with him and I I, I feel that he has a natural aptitude for punching power he's he does have a gift he's heavy-handed yeah um so then you know it was about putting away putting putting the skills together and the fundamentals and the technique to amplify that to make his natural power even be even that much more and take it to another level to you know for, to its optimal working on his footwork making him a better boxer 
teaching them how to fight on the inside and how to fight on the outside. But those are the two things that I liked about that he had. You know, he like I said, he wasn't a kid that was just a wild buzz all throw a bunch of punches and be mm-hmm. reck- reckless. You know, yeah. I think he had a he had a more of a calmer demeanor, which was actually easier actually for me to, you know, build him back. It wasn't easy. I shouldn't say the word easy because we had to work on a lot of things with him with conditioning. But I never had to like calm him down and slow him down. He had that poise, if you will, and he had good punching power. Uh, right off the door and then uh, like I said I knew there was there, and then with this I love I mean the other thing of course is, is he's always had that tall long reach and yeah, tall height that. and that's something he was born with and uh, so my thing was you see so many guys that are tall but don't fight tall they fight small they don't know how to utilize their reach to its utmost so that was one of the things that I did. I said, well, I'm going to make his jab as long as possible, yeah. and I'm going to make his right hand as long as possible. We're going to watch a lot of Tommy Hearns films, a lot of Klitschko films, a yeah. lot of guys that know how to utilize their reach. You know, watch a lot of those films with him, and, and really when you're working on the mitts, working on the back, to try to get him to use that jab as, as long as he can and use his right hand. Because like I said, a lot of guys will be that tall, but they fight squared up, and they, and they don't utilize it. You know, so – over the years, he's really learned how to utilize it. And in the finals, that was the key strategy in that fight because that kid had, it was a counterpuncher. And he had counterpunched everybody in that tournament. I watched all the films that night. And I, I you know, because we only had a day to prepare for that from mm-hmm. one fight to the next because you find out who wins and that's who you yeah. get to fight. So when he would go to bed, I'd watch the film until 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> and uh, I realized that that kid was just strictly a counterpuncher. Um, he would sit back. I says, Well, you got to take him out of his comfort zone. His comfort zone is to always have guys coming to him. I said, he has no choice with you. You're 6'3". If you get that jab going and you start using that jab he, he's, and you're long, he's not going to be able to come to you. He's not going to be able to get to you unless he comes to you. You know, you don't pull your – he doesn't pull you out of your shell. Because the other kids he was fighting were his height, and he would just, you know, faint, faint, and make the guys commit and counter. I said, we're going we're to beat him at his own game because you have the physical attributes to do it. And the other thing about it is the kid was quick. So we didn't want to be reckless and get counter because he had speed. So I told Keontae to keep him on the end of everything, make him come, beat him at his own game because his game is your game. Because Keontae's you got to come to Keontae. He's too long. You, if he knows how to use it, you know what I mean, there's no reason for him to go within, you know, within your reach. you got to come within his reach, and he's going he's gonna to counter you. But – I mean, he's going to also be first. Like, if he's getting his jab off and he's first with his jab, the guy has no choice but to come. So, that was the game plan with that fight. Uh, and I told him, if it's not, it doesn't have to be the most exciting fight. You know, if you're winning with the jab and you're winning when you throw some good long right hands and you get this kid behind, then he's got to come. So, that's what happened in the fight. I mean, Keontae won the first round. The kid, uh, second round, he started to come with Keontae. The Keontae was countering somewhat. The kid was aggressive. The second round was a good, was a close round, and the third round, the kid had to come because he didn't take a chance on losing the round. There's only three rounds in a fight, so I told him get back to being as long as possible. You know, second round he kind of got out of it a little bit, and then the third round he stayed long as possible, and the kid was coming and he was able to step back and still use his reach and counterpunch this kid. And you just utilize his reach, keep the fight in the middle of the ring, not go near the ropes where the kid could get on the inside. Yeah. And uh, he stuck to the game plan, and, and he won He won the first, and he won the third round. And uh, the second round, like I said, was close. But, I mean, I, mean, I feel like I mean, it was a split, but 
I really felt like when the, they announced, you know, when the bell rang, that, you know, I was like saying to myself, unless for some reason we get, I hate to say the word raw, but if that was what the case would be, I felt like we won the fight. And then I had asked him, I said, you feel like you did enough, right? And he says, yes, yeah, I feel like I, I, feel like I won, yeah, you know. Because I'm always, like, paranoid because we've been in a oh, situation, yeah. you know the, the game. But, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, when he when he announced him as uh, the winner and they announced it, I just, all I kept thinking is I kept listening for, we're in the red corner. They say, in the blue or the red corner, you know, in the blue or the red. So <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, red, 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 red. <laughs> say red, say red. And they said red. So that was like, and that was just, yeah. It was a great feeling, right? So, so amateur went back to, uh, it's just, like pro style scoring, correct? Pro style scoring to the to somewhat, yeah, pretty much. They they do the ten my point my system. Uh, they seem to give a little bit more ten eights for dominant rounds without knockdowns because uh, amateurs. Uh, I mean, like you know, usually in the pros you don't get a ten eight round unless there's a knockdown. And the amateurs they have the standing eight count. So of yeah. course, if you get standing eight counts, you're going to get ten eight rounds. Even like some of the fights, uh, like he scored three standing eight counts in his second bout there, and he scored. Uh, they stopped the fight because of three. Even though the kid never went down, he had three standing yeah. eight counts. And then, uh, yeah, they, they it's a ten point my system. They have five judges, not three. No. So yeah, it actually factors into something I want to talk about later. Right, I know. Um, I'm talking about that. Yeah. Um, no, I just had a question that escaped me. So. Uh, Keontae, you no know headgear, right? No, uh, yeah, there's headgear and the gold There is headgear yes. and golden gloves. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, uh, what's it? Olympic, Olympics? No headgear. Well, that's the, the last Olympics was no headgear, correct? Okay. Now they're still debating it. They, every time it seems like they just don't know which way to go with this. The last, the 2016 Olympics were without headgear, correct? Do you like the headgear? Do I like it? Yeah. What? What, what the? Should have turned that off. Um. Because I, I, I hear I, a lot of people say it, it really doesn't protect you and it just well, kind of impairs the vision. Well, I, I have a mixed emotions about it because, um, you know, it's very it's a it's a very uh, very debatable argument because you, what you have there is you have uh, the headgear which actually makes the head a bigger target. Yeah, true. Enough. And then oh, you ha- and then you have the gloves that are a little bit bigger. So. You, you actually, and the, and from amateur to pro, the gloves are a little bit bigger, and then you have headgear, so the target's a little bit bigger. So guys get hit more because in the, yeah. in the pros, you have to be more accurate. That's one of the things I always talk to them about, and I talked to them about because he has fought without headgear. He fought in the, uh, he fought in the uh, regional world championship games. He also fought uh, in some of the Olympic trial col- trial qualifier tournaments okay. in 2008 didn't use headgear so he's had some fights without headgear um and i always told him i said you see when you're in there you see how much more accurate you have to be because now you know a punch where it would hit the headgear you know you would hit, hit a guy with a shot now he doesn't have headgear on and if he has a little bit of vest those punches that one inch that kick can move out of the way and within that hundredth of a second he's got to travel another inch to get to his head and then he can roll with it and slip it the vest that's why people don't realize that, you know, um, punching power is, has a lot to do with accuracy. You know, it's not just power. Yeah. You know, it, it, these guys, uh, you'll see all kinds of things happen from amateur to pro. You'll see guys that are good punchers in the, in the pros, and, and then they, and they get in the amateur. I mean, they good punchers in the amateurs. They go as a pro, and they're not such a good puncher. And then vice versa. Mm-hmm. Guys that are not the best 
power punchers in the amateurs. Tommy Hearns is a great example. Yeah, Tommy he Hearns was a wasn't boxer. a big puncher. Yeah, he was a boxer. When he became a pro, he became a, he became a devastating puncher. So a lot of it has to do with accuracy. Um, so I have mixed emotions to that. I mean, the thing is, when you when you it, it would be like arguing also, you know, having a motorcycle accident and you you wreck without your helmet, you're going to do more damage. Yeah. So the punches that are accurate will do more damage without the headgear, but the frequency of getting hit, I think the odds are a little higher, a little less when you have headgear on because you're going to get hit more because you're a bigger target. So it's kind of, a, you know, it's a debatable argument like as far as like the concussions, you know what I mean? I'm sure when a guy can land a punch, he can do more impact and cause a major concussion. But their biggest reason why they started to do it is they tried to say that there was actually, because concussions all have degrees. Yeah. There, there was more concussions with headgear than there was without. But then with, without headgear, there was more damaging concussions. So you so have- yeah, pick your poison. Pick your poison, exactly, so. Do you like the do you like the headgear or without? I don't. How many have you had many fights without? I mean, we, I, I trained without headgear before, so yeah, I would definitely like it when I get in the ring for an actual fight for sure. Yeah. What? Uh, what? Four? Three? Yeah, I think it was three. Yeah. So that's. Four. Okay, so you've had a handful without. Does it? Do you feel like there's that big of a difference? Um, you do feel a slight difference. You got to be definitely, like you said, way more accurate. Uh, How but like taking a shot? Is it? Oh, taking a shot ain't that bad. No, it's it's not bad. It's pretty much the same. You you get to take like because you don't have that headgear blocking your peripheral. That's so what I've always heard. Is is it you? can't see as well right right so it's like you could dodge more you know what i'm saying like have more head movement so that makes again, sense again you get hit more because you're peripheral that's another that's another con of the headgear getting hit more because you don't have the vision yeah you know, with the head, without the headgear you have you have better vision i think that's your yeah. that's your feelings on it right yeah. so yeah when i think about his and uh, the fights he's had as a as a, as a uh without headgear He's actually had, you had two in Philadelphia in that tournament for the trial qualifier. And then you had four, four in Memphis because you lost in the semifinals in that one. So you fought three. You won three without the headgear. Yeah, you're right. Right? So you had four, two. He's had, he's had at least seven because then you had Honduras, correct? Yeah. So he's had, he's had seven fights without headgear. And he's, uh, he's done well. I mean, he's, uh, well, he, well, he'd be four and three without headgear. Those were uh, Olympic trial qualifier fights. So, I mean, you're talking top of the line. Top of the you're line. You're not fighting top. You know, from down the street. Right. He fought in the world championships against actually the gold medals of the world championship games. Okay, so that guy's uh, all right, probably. Yeah, so, <laughs> so he lost. It. And then he fought uh, actually to the national. He lost. This is when he lost those fights. What I'm talking about is all the way back now in 2015 for the 2016 trial qualifier, Olympic trial qualifiers. He lost to the, uh, the national golden glove champion in 2015. Okay. At 178. Okay. So. He was fighting at 78. He lost to uh, Joseph George, who won the National Golden Gloves in 2015. Uh, so he, he lost a top top cow. He yeah. lost to a gold medalist, and he lost to a National Golden Glove champion at 178. Yeah. And then he lost to another kid uh, that, at, at, uh, that was like 
top five in the country, I believe. So yeah, it was all kids that were top 10 in the country or top fighters in the world. Yeah. And it was at 178 again, it was at 178 pounds. So at 65, you know, he's... Uh, but, uh, was, I said, was there ever any thoughts of moving him down earlier or is this just... I'll tell you what, you, 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 you as a trainer, you always are trying to learn. If you're, I believe if you're going to be a great trainer, you always, you never stop learning. Yeah. Um, and I actually was trying to learn from past mistakes. Um, a lot of times I don't believe in sucking weight because, um, like I said, but it all comes down to the confidence and the belief and the trust that he has in what I'm telling him. Because I've had past experiences where if a kid is not mature enough or he, for some reason he doesn't have the confidence to do it or to trust in what you're telling him or the belief of what you're telling him and he doesn't follow it to a T, it can be a disaster. Oh, yeah. Okay? And I've had that experience where, you know, um, with going, you know, without going into major detail, that, you know, like I said, if, if it's not done properly or if the person doesn't have confidence in doing it, they're not mature enough, and they, whatever it is, it, it can be detrimental because if you're losing that weight and you're dehydrated, you're doing the wrong thing and you're dehydrating yourself and you're fighting and you're not 100%, then, then you know, you, you can really, really be, it can, you can get hurt in that ring. I mean, it's the bottom line. Yeah. So, so, you know, um, I, I never really thought, of, well, the other thing that I always thought about Keontae is Keontae is a late bloomer. I don't know if, when he was graduated high school, he was like 5'10", 5 5'11". 5 and then he, uh, he graduated high school, and now he's 6'3". I mean, he grew four or five inches after high school. So my thing is, is, and this is all the way even up to the last year, he grew another half an inch in height, an inch, uh, 23 years old. So hmm. I, I just never knew where he was going to, if he was done growing and maturing. And his body, you know, as you become a man, you become 20, in your, in your mid-20s, your early 20s, you start to broaden out a little bit yeah. too. So I never thought that he would, I thought that there was a possibility that he was going to continue to grow. So I didn't want to stunt his growth. Yeah, that's you know, true. I didn't want to stunt his growth. I wanted to let his body grow naturally. Now we had come down, like I said, down to the last year where I really felt like he had stagnated as far as his growth. I didn't feel like he had basically, you know, plateaued off. I don't think he's really going to grow taller anymore. And I think his body has matured, you know, physically. Of course, you're going to continue to grow, get stronger in your mid-20s and stuff. And he will eventually maybe move up to a weight class higher in the pros and go up in weight classes. But the thing about it was that I had noticed that he had got more mentally mature, and I really started to have more confidence that I could give this game plan to him, and for him to, and he would be able to take it, and he would be able to make it happen. And I really, because I felt like when I looked at him, I said, you know what? And like I said, again, he, he kept on waking up 69 at times, 68, 70. He was in that range. I said, we really don't have a big cut. But the thing about it is, you know, you can have guys that have to lose one pound, two pounds. They panic. They do it the wrong way, and they make themselves weak. Yeah. So it has to be still done in the right way because, you know, it's like one pound can kill you. you have, that's why in the lighter weight classes, you'll see. You got 122. It goes to 126. These weight classes are four pounds differences. Yeah. Because there's a big difference in one pound. It's like being in the weight room, and you're struggling to lift the weight. And, and you're right there, and you're struggling, you're struggling, struggling, and you might get it up, but if someone put one more pound on it, it'll go right through your chest. One yeah. pound will make it, yeah. So that's what the difference between people don't realize, what one pound. People always say, what the heck is one pound? One pound can make a difference. So 
you you have to make you know when you're down to the nitty gritty and you're trying to cut that weight and you get so like i said like sometimes guys get down to once you know, like in any division like let's say at 65 he was having a you know he, he if he was having a terribly difficult time at 65 and he's dry at 65 if you take the guy to 64 he's dead that one pound kills him because he's already dried out 65 so it's all about where he was i knew it wasn't a big cut and i had confidence at this time in his career that his body wasn't really growing that much and then he that he and i was also confident that his mind was able to grasp and he was able to take in the information that i mm -hmm. was giving to him and i trialed i did a trial with him basically we started with a little bit of intermittent fasting he was able to do it he actually felt like he was getting stronger and he enjoyed it he said he liked it uh and and uh from there i just says hey man this 65 is not going to be a hard cut let's go ahead and do it so and basically you're you one of the main things I take from there is even if you had thought of this five years ago, mentally, you wanted him to be in the right mental place. You felt like now was yeah, that time. Mental, mental and physical. I, I felt like I said it was hard for me to, to think about this uh, even two years ago when we were fighting at, at, in 2015 or three years ago now in 2015 because he had, because uh, I think in 2014 you were, 65 or 78 you've been 78 for probably three or four years maybe right yeah. so my thing was is that I still like I said I he had done such an unbelievable growth spurt from 18 to 21 yeah it's not normal and I didn't didn't know if he was even done and he really wasn't he's still growing like I said a year ago he grew another half inch so I didn't want to I didn't want to halt or disturb or have anything to harm that growth you know what I mean so, so you're really looking so big was, picture yeah it was mentally and physically I both you know both I wanted to see his body kind of plateau and say you know what I'm done growing tall wise I'm this is my body now we you know his mind like I said became more mature and I said now nah, let's see if we can implement this and uh like I said we did a little trial and he started to you know he started like I said was waking up 69 at one time 70 68 Started doing a little bit of fasting. He was waking up 66, 67. I said, well, we're there. You know, so that's yeah, more than a pound. So, yeah. you know, so then it was actually about, he would actually drop down sometimes at 63, 64. So now I said, let's build it back up and then bring it back down the right way. And make you even stronger. Be the, be the, seven, be the 78 pounder that you were at 65. Yeah, you know? yeah that's has its advantages. That's what we've been doing. So it's worked out really good. Um, Keontae. Um, we obviously talked to you coming here when you were 16. You've yeah. been here for the eight years. You know, what, what brought you here? Did you play any sports did you, before? Did you want to be a fighter? Or, you know, what brought you here when you were 16? I mean, I, tr I tried a lot of different things growing up. Tried football, tried basketball. Um, just didn't work out no. <laughs> pretty much. No, didn't work out. Trying to find my own thing, find my own niche. You know, everybody wants to do that. So decided to uh, try boxing out. Plus, I watched it growing up a lot with my uncles and things. Okay. And it was it looked easy, you know. We was watching uh, Banner Holyfield versus Mike Tyson at my uncle Dan's. And I remember he was, my uncle was telling me, see how Vander uses his head? He uses his head for defense. <laughs> and you gotta, you gotta, he can fight with his eyes closed, basically. He was showing us like, a little technique and stuff like that. And, uh, I was like, man, I know I can do that. That that looks easy. That looks easy, you know. So this became, yeah, yeah. It's not as easy as it looks. So once you got in here, you know, you got going at it. Was there ever 
you know, was there ever a time where you thought, like, uh, maybe this isn't my thing, maybe this isn't for me? Oh, yeah. You had, I had some thoughts come. I actually said it sometimes. But uh, I ain't a quitter, though. No? Yeah, ain't no quitter, man. I ain't going to quit. I stay uh, consistent and persistent. So... Yeah, that's the key. Yeah, that's those are the major major factors right there that keep you going. You gotta find you gotta find uh, your motivation, your own motivation at whatever you do. You know. What is your motivation for this? Mostly my family, people that helped me got to the point I like where I'm at. You know, those that's family right there. That's like you get, the thing that you just gotta have, like some type of backing. You know, I got a lot of support, so that's what keeps me going. Did it mean, uh, you know, a little bit more, you know, you're from Beaver County, you're closest to Pittsburgh. You know, Pittsburgh has always looked at as the city of champions. It's been a long time since we had a Golden Glove champion. You know, did it mean just that much more to bring a championship to a city that's just full of championships and full of all-time great athletes? Exactly. Like, definitely made me feel good that I brought something that Pittsburgh has never had in a long time, you know. Like, they had well, they had three of them, right? You're the third. I'm the third. Yeah. <laughs> so they only had two of them, you know. So three, three's, three's good. And get up to date, get it in the 2000s, you know. And, uh, yeah, this would be the first one in the uh, 2000s. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. You know. Uh, you said you watch – do you still watch boxing? Uh, uh, yeah, I watch, I watch film. It, watch. It's just strange. It's a lot <laughs> of uh, – like I talked to fighters, trainers, and they couldn't tell you anything that's happened. Like it seems like when you're in it so much that you kind of don't become a fan anymore. You're removed. You kind of want to be removed from it when you're not here. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I watch some uh, the new guys, but mainly I'm watching the old guys. You know, the ones who originated it, like the real fighters. I think they're the real fighters. The, they went more rounds. You know, did more training, was more focused. Who's your uh, who's your your guy that you watch? You know, you're gonna watch a guy who's the who's the one you go to. I watch a lot. That's like, I watch a lot of Thomas Hearns. Yeah, uh, like Tommy said, you are similar. Yeah, similar. same same build, same frame, but mine's a little bit bigger, I think, in my opinion. But um, he was lean. Uh, Sugar Ray Robinson, like watching him. Joe Lewis, a lot of the guys. Sometimes we watch even like uh, we watch Mike Tyson clips sometimes. Yeah. You know. There's something to be learned from everybody, probably. Yeah. No matter. Well, Lennox Lewis. We still, we, we don't copy anybody, but we steal. Yeah. <laughs> we steal things from people, you know. And uh, yeah, we, we we watch a lot of Robinson and Joe Lewis, great fundamental boxers, and Thomas Hearns, and like fits his stature. And, uh, so those guys right there are uh, guys that we can take a lot of things that fit his style. Yeah. You know. Um, but there's a little bit to learn from everybody. Uh, certain things that we've, we, we have to make adjustments in certain fights. I mean, there might be a day where he does fight someone taller than himself. So he may have to make a certain adjustment as far as dealing with somebody taller than him. And, um, you know, the key is with him is to be able to utilize his reach to, uh, to its utmost. But guys are going to try to be on the inside. And, and we've worked on developing his inside boxing game as well when a guy's right in his chest. And I think he does it. I think that's one of the more impressive things about Keontae is that he is able to fight on the inside better than a guy like Thomas Hearns did in the past. Yeah. Um, a guy like Lennox Lewis and Klitschko who just, if they you get to the inside, they just, they just tie you, you up. Yeah. And they're big guys and just tie you up. Where 
actually Keontae has, has the ability and the skills um, that we've worked on, uh, you know, rolling with a punch, blocking and slipping, and, and, and really learn how to use your shoulders in there and bump a guy up and, and use out, learn, learn all the tricks with your head and with your elbows. And he, he, he knows how to do that. Uh, he's very good with his hands and manipulating manipulating guys on the inside with his hands and uh, turning guys and, and really keeping guys off balance on the inside and being able to uh, throw great punches, you know, to the body as well as to the head. You know, he's not just uh, like if Klitschko's in Lennox Lewis, you'd never see him throw a body punch, you know what I mean? But uh, Keontae's a great body puncher on the inside and he can throw a long left hook from the outside, which is something that Tommy Hearns did do well. He threw good body shots from the outside. And, uh, but yeah, we're trying to, we tried to make him a well-rounded package. Uh, but, you know, we're going to utilize our strengths first. But, you know, there's always going to be plan B, plan, plan C, plan yeah. D that we'll, uh, ha we'll have in our pocket because I, I, I believe in that. I believe that you always prepare for other styles, for other things, for other adjustments, adjustments you have to make. But at the same time, uh, you know, you're, gonna, you're not going to fight someone else's game. You're going to utilize your strengths to its utmost and then make adjustments as we go along if you have to, you know. But yeah. he's big enough and tall enough that, for the most part, guys are going to have to deal with him. He, they're going to have to adjust to him. He's not going to have to adjust to them. They're going to really have to adjust to the stature that he brings. And he's got the punching power to really get your respect. Guys are not going to walk and be aggressive and just think they're going to get inside of him because he's tall. Because, first of all, it's no picnic once they – if they do so happen to get on the inside, it's no picnic. No. But on the outside, it's hard to get to him on the, on the outside because they got a lot of punishment they have to endure to try to get to the inside. And then once they get where they think they want to get, it's no picnic in there either. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's, it's, it's something that's going to be very hard for a lot of guys to deal with. We're very confident as we as we move on here. Like I said, it's just the beginning. Uh, you know, he won there, and and now we will. So, what's the next step after? Well, I, I think that it's about weighing your options. You know, we're going to put a lot of a lot of fillers out and see, uh, you know, what we get as far as promo, uh, promotional contract offers, and then, uh, you know, our 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 our, our leverage is, is to say that, you know. Um, we always have the option to stay in and go on to the Olympics. Uh, guys have done it, like me and you had talked earlier. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're not going to just uh, take anything that's on the table. We're, we have we have options where we could stay amateur and go to the Olympics. I feel like, you know, he will be one of the favorites to go there at 165 pounds. Um, but at the same time, I think he I think he's definitely ready to turn professional. I think that he has the ability, he has the amateur background, he's done enough to mature him into that next step. Um, How many amateur fights does he have? He has about 75. Okay. He's so. about, a, it, we come, to, we, the one thing happened, some of these amateur fights, it's hard to count when you, some, you know, like he, he, they, care, they have him in books, you know, they put him in books, but. Yeah. yeah we'll unfortunately, he lost one of his books one time, so there's some, limbo or there's some uh gray area on yeah. some of the fights we weren't able to record we just try to record them mentally but i think he's got about 75 fights he's like 63 and 12 okay from what we see and then and, and, and most of those losses were early on uh you know over the last four or five years he's probably lost a couple you know 
uh, two or three maybe. Yeah, like so, we said earlier, that, that's yeah. top of the top right. of the line. Top guys. of the line guys, right? So. Um, the Olympics, what twenty twenty? So you 2020. said the trials would be trials. Next actually, year. trials will start. Yeah, they the trials are like usually what they usually do. It's early. Uh, it's usually late two thousand nineteen. At the latest, early two thousand twenty, like in January, the one year they did it. But most of the time, uh, I believe for the last one. All those tournaments basically took place in like the fall of 2019. 2019. It was be 2015. Year, yeah, before. Year, year ahead. So I think that uh, yeah, I mean we're we're a year and a half away from those qualifiers because uh, where are we at now? June. Yeah. So. So say uh, you know whatever happens, you decide you're going to stay right. amateur, make a run at the Olympics. What happens from now until the trials would start? Well, I tell you what, a lot of things are in 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 uh, are basically up in the air because uh, they actually announced that in July they are going to be restructuring the weight classes again, and they are going to drop two weight classes. They're only going to have eight weight classes. Oh wow! They used to have twelve, then it dropped to ten. The last two Olympics, I believe, is when it dropped to ten. I think 2012 was the first time they did ten, maybe even 2008. Uh, they dropped from 12 to 10, and then uh, and now they're going to drop this time the Olympics to eight weight classes. And we don't actually know what the weight classes, how they're going to structure them. It might not be a 165. It may be a different weight class. I really don't know. So that's one thing we got. They're going to you know work on. And then I guess till in December they will have another U.S. Championship thing, and there's a qualifier in October to put them in that. And I believe the weight classes will stay the same throughout 2018. Okay. But then in 2019, the you know the year that we will do the qualifiers, they're actually going to restructure the weight classes. So that's another thing that we really it's really up in the air that we don't know about. That uh, so that's uh, something we have to wait. It's actually going to be announced. It's supposed to announce it next month. Oh, okay. But and. As far as the United States goes, he, there will still be a 165-pound weight class until the end of 2018. The other major tournament in amateur boxing is the U.S. Championships, which will take place December. Uh, I think I believe it's like this, the first week of December in, in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. And in order for him to qualify to get to that tournament, he will have to fight in a qualifying tournament uh, in October. He would have to be either the first place or the second place to get to that tournament in December. Okay. So, uh, so he'd be busy if you... Yeah, he would fight again in October. He would fight again in December, assuming that he would win that in October. He would be there in December. And that... Uh, the guys that actually... The guy that wins the U.S. Championship is the guy that, under USA Boxing Organization, gets the number one ranking. I think the two biggest tournaments are the... You know, prestigious tournaments in amateur boxing is the U.S. Championships... <laughs> And the National Golden Gloves. Yeah. Um, to the general public, the National Golden Gloves has been around longer and is more actually more prestigious and more well more known. But it'd be like comparing golf, like you know, that, like I told you earlier, the Masters and the U.S. Open would be like the two major tournaments. Those four majors in yeah. golf, but it'd be like almost like in tennis, the U.S. Open and the Wimbledon. Yeah. You know, it's it, they're two very, comp, you know, close. That's, I, like I said, I'm not someone that follows amateur boxing that well. To me, if you name those two. Right. I know the Golden Gloves. Right. That's the one I'm going. Oh, the guy won the Golden Gloves. So. Right. Right. So they're 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 both they're both pretty big tournaments. 
basically the difference is the the USA Championships. You win, you get the ranking. Right. Is basically right. And National Golden Gloves to the to the to the to the common folk and the, yeah, it's more the, it, more prestigious well known. to well known. It's more well known. Yes. So, Keontae, if you obviously you know you don't know what's going to happen, but if you had a choice, are you leaning one way or the other, or just kind of seeing what happens? Um, it's still a, it's still up in the air for me too. I don't know. There's there's options. You can go this route. You can go that route. But it's pretty much in the air. I mean, yeah, winning Olympic gold. I mean, it's not what it was before. Before it was a ticket to stardom. But I mean, that's still a hell of an accomplishment. Right. Definitely is. Definitely you know? is. Um, say you would happen to turn pro. You know, you get a deal you like, and you guys talk about it, and that's what happens. Um. Is it weird to think, you know, like you're watching a guy on TV and maybe one day, like, that's a guy you could be across the ring from? Uh, yeah, I definitely think about that sometimes. And uh, next time I see him, I know I'm going to knock him out, though. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it comes to mind. But I know these guys ain't on my level. They're, they're, they're afraid of me. We'll go outside boxing here for a second, get to know you a little bit better, get okay, to let the people okay. get to know you. Uh, what's your – what kind of music do you like? Uh, I listen to everything. I like, yeah. the, I like the oldies. I like rap music. I'm not too big in that pop and uh, country music, though. Yeah, country's not good. I don't blame you. Yeah, it's pretty depressing. That country's depressing. I don't know how people listen to that. Who's, uh, <laughs> who's, your, who's your, like, go-to artist right now? Like, you, you got to listen to a track. Um, right now I'm listening to, uh, hold on, who am I listening to? <laughs> Let me check real quick. Who am I listening to? Kendrick Lamar. Oh, I can't go wrong there. And uh, J. Cole. I J. can't Cole go wrong with either one of those. those. Those two guys, man. I like, I like to listen to more lyrical music. Like, that's why I say I like all music, because I like the old school, you know, like Rock Him, you know, uh, what's it called? Not paid e EPMD, is that a group? Oh, I know who you're talking about. I can't I'm not sure if that's it, but it's I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I like old school jams, you know. And uh like the seventies, like uh the soulful jams. We was you playing we were actually playing some soul Yeah, the whispers and stuff. <laughs> yeah, you can't get wrong with that either. Yeah, oh, that's good yeah. stuff. Tom does them. He he got he got the playlist. What was we listening to down there in Golden Gloves? We, we, we was warming up. We was listening to some oh, good well, music, well, man. We was listening. We was listening to some of the BGs. He knows the names of these yeah. people. So so your uh, <laughs> your pre-flight playlist might be a surprise to some folks yeah, yeah, out it might, there. It might surprise people. They might be like, "What? He listens to that? No, <laughs> I never would have thought." Like, no. Nah. I like I like that uh, Phil yeah, Collins. <laughs> Oh, Bobby Brown. <laughs> that's where it's at. I like some Bobby Brown. We got some heat. Definitely. <laughs> we, listen, we listen to it all. It's all good stuff. So say you weren't here, you know, you're not the Golden Gloves champ. What do you think you'd be out there doing? Oh, we'd be right in this gym. You would hear that bell. Be dinging. <laughs> so <laughs> this is it. You were, if you weren't a fighter, you'd still be here being still, a fighter. I'm still being here. That's what I'm saying. I can't stop it. Plus, it's, it's changed my life dramatically, you know. I was like, I came in here as a string bean, and now I'm like <laughs> a monster, you know. 
Like, I know how to eat right. I know how to live better. I know how to focus. Keeps me disciplined. Keeps me on the schedule. I like to be on a regiment. Yeah. You know? It's a good, it's a good way to live. It's per, the perfect lifestyle. You can make a lot of money doing it. Yeah, <laughs> you can. You can, you know, see the world, especially the travel. That was the biggest thing for me. I love traveling. And it took me places that I never thought. Like, I've been to Cuba. I've been to Honduras. I've been to the Olympic Training Center. I've been to everywhere. I meet people. You know, Vegas. Yeah, for Vegas. I'm out in Vegas. Like, that is. So, really, even if this was, like, you come in here, you know, you're 16, you, you do the amateur thing, you're like, you know, I'm good at this, but I don't really want to take a pro. This is, you're, you're still probably coming here every day because it's made you a better human being. Period. Yes, I could definitely say that. It has. And I got this experience, a lot of things that people usually don't experience in my eyes, at least growing up around here. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I could comment on that because, I mean, there's just, like I said, there's a lot of kids uh, in Beaver County that never get out of Beaver County. I mean, no. they just never, they've never been anywhere, you know, and uh, and and I think that that, uh, I think when you have your, you're able to, you know, see the world and see, and it, it broadens your horizons on even the things that you, you know, the goals that you set and the things that you think about and, Right, and he does music, and he's got you know he's pretty diverse with his music, and he and he likes and he and he actually does his own music, and then he and he likes and he's diverse with his music as well as the music that he enjoys listening to. Yeah, but that's I mean you just your mind becomes broad, and I've had a lot of kids come through here, and they become successful, you know, outside of boxing, because of their work ethic and their discipline, just for the simple fact that they learned it in boxing, they were able to take that and take it in the other parts of their life you know outside of this box and outside yeah. of this gym and become successful and and they were they, like i said I, and i credit to it like i said a lot of things of of the work ethic and and discipline that it takes to be a boxer and then like chianti says being able to see things that other kids his age are not able to see to realize how big the world is and to realize all the things that are out there for you and to expand your mind and stimulate your mind to thinking about bigger things and th about going to different places you know when you see these places and, and if if you're a kid that just lives here in a small small county and never sees those things then you know you're not able to stimulate your mind to think sometimes where you know you're not able to stimulate your mind the way you need to stimulate your mind to be able to have that drive to, to go to a successful level in whatever you do. Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah, I think he, he commented on that. I, I mean, I definitely have seen that in my, in my experiences. What's it like to, for you, what's it been like to watch him grow over the past eight oh, years? Man, it's, it's, it's really, really, I'm proud of him. I mean, he, he's, he's come a long way and we've been through it, man. Like, yeah. let me tell you, I, I, I go, I go at it with him. It's, it's not always it's all it's not always peaches and cream. Yeah. I mean we we we've uh, had our battles and uh, but it, like I told him I was even telling him this yesterday. I mean everything that I did, you know, and everything that I've said to him, and there's always been a motive of why I've done it, and the motive was that I knew that he had the ability to be a champion in the amateurs and I still believe he has the ability to be a champion as a pro and uh, 
I didn't want to relent until he was able to accomplish that. And I'm still not. I told him, that's just the beginning. I'm not going to relent until you are able to fulfill your potential. You know, and uh, everything that, like I said, that I, I've pushed him and done things, I've done things that maybe he's questioned, but there's always a reason why I did it because uh, I felt like I, at times I wasn't getting the best out of him, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just can't sit back and just hope it's going to work out. You have to, you have to freaking really, you know, in the past, I, you know, sometimes I've just sat back and said, Oh, you know, just see where it is, what it is, it's going to go where it's going to go. But then sometimes you have to really, 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 you know, do everything you can in your power and in your knowledge and in your, uh, you know, in, in your mind to come up with some way that you can get through to him on all kinds of wavelengths to be able to just get the best out of him. You know what I mean? You know, um, pushing him physically, you know, pushing him mentally, you know, trying to give him motive, motive to want to be a champion pushing him physically when days when he maybe not feel like he needs to work out or he wants to work out he does not feel like yeah. it and I got to be able to push him yeah. so the, the, those things those things are always uh for a trainer you know not an easy task but uh you know like I said with him I, I've just seen so much potential I see so much potential there that uh like I said it's not always going to be peaches and cream it hasn't been in the past it's going to continue when you're when you're when you're when you're preparing somebody for war it shouldn't be it, 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 if, if it's too dang easy and it's all peaches and cream, yeah, something, something's missing. <laughs> something's missing there. So you know, I'm preparing. I'm preparing him for war. You know, and uh, I mean, he like I said, we've accomplished this mission of winning the national championship. Um, and now you know, wherever it will go, we will, you know, like I said, we'll take one day at a time, see where it's going to go. If it's a professional, uh, if it's am, if it's still amateurs, go for the Olympics. Uh, we'll continue to get back on track, you know what I mean? Uh, what we've done in the past was successful. We're going to continue to work hard and do the same things we've done, we've done in the past. And, uh, you know, I've been through the process. Uh, been through this process at this point several times. Yeah. Been, uh, been very successful. And then at times that, uh, you know, maybe it could have been more successful. wish it could have been more successful, but uh, been very successful a lot of the times and most of the times I tell you that there was a problem or it wasn't success I think it was like I said it was distractions outside influences of someone getting off track you know what I mean the athlete getting off track it's like I said like what, I, what we've done to this point we have to continue to do that you know it's when in the past when it's gone sour time my experiences has been when there's been some kind of outside influence and, it, and it's about getting off track from what you've done in the past. You know, getting off track of what's got you there. And that has been the biggest thing that I've seen, I've seen in the past. And, uh, you know, that's when I want to try to make sure that I, you know, w with, his, with him is to just keep him completely focused on what we've done in the past and to, and to make it happen the way it's happened in the amateurs and make it happen in the pros. And then for you, Keontae, on the other side, you know, I can tell just from sitting here for, you know, an hour with you guys that he's more than a trainer to you. You know, what what's for you, what's it like to have a guy in your corner that he's your trainer, but he's your friend, he's someone you can look up to? Oh, man. I can't explain it. It's, 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 it has its positives. It has its, has its negatives. It's like give and take because I love him to death, but sometimes I want to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, 
Yeah, it all pays off, like he was saying though, like our chemistry is good. We have we have success with each other, you know. He tells me what the game plan is. I, I just work on execution. Let's work on focus on that. And that's what helps us get to where we need to get to. Do you feel like if you, you know, went into another gym or had a different trainer, do you feel like you would be at this point? No, definitely not. Definitely not. Just from, like, me traveling, because you do, like, I did get the experience working without them for one time. That's, that was a little awkward for me. You yeah. Know? I'm sitting there learning with these different coaches. The way they hold pads is different from how he holds pads and different techniques on, like, because every, everybody has their own opinion about their technique or how you should do this or how you should do that. Not saying it's wrong, but it's just like I'm not comfortable with it, you know. Yeah, it's just different. Yeah, you just throw me in, you know, it's like – bunch of apples are playing with each other and the orange just pops in <laughs> you know it's like what is this orange doing here what's going on you know but it works out it's it's good i'm glad i'm with them you know so you know it it would appear from everyone involved no matter what happens amateur pro you guys are, are uh, yeah, we're together locked, we're locked in you're locked in <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the deal is sealed yeah like tommy said you know he's been here he's been to the top of that mountain, so it's good. It's a good guy to have steering you, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah um, it, it, the experience that we had a couple times that he went away and then he went to, uh, he actually went to Cuba. And it was funny, he was training with the Cubans and they were teaching him things that basically so they could beat them. It was funny. The, the, <laughs> the Americans went down. United, we went down. Pittsburgh went down to Cuba. Yeah. And they actually took them into the training headquarters. And, and with the Cubans, they were training with the Cubans. And it was funny. They, they came back, and Keontae was showing me some of the stuff that they were showing them. And I said, what Cuban do you see that fights like that? I think they're setting you guys up, telling you to fight this way so they can beat you. Right? It was kind of funny. And, and, and then what happened is I told him, I says, throw that stuff right out the door. I said, listen to what I'm telling you. Go back to what I'm showing you because this is what fits you. I don't care what they're showing you. That don't fit you. So then we end up fighting the Cuban on the Clemente Bridge. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. On the Clemente Bridge. And he fought at that time. That kid was ranked number three in the world at 165 pounds. Not not in the pro, I mean, not in the, uh, not in the Cuba number three. He was ranked number three in the world at that time. And, and Keontae had done a little bit of work with him down there, right? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I think, I mean, he knew the kid was good. Everybody was talking about how good the kid was. I said, you're not going to fight that kid like they're showing you. You're going to fight that kid like we know how to do it, yeah. you know? And he beat that kid. That was, a, that was a heck of a, at that point, that was an upset because. Uh, yeah, Knocked his mouthpiece out, and you know, really, really rocked him with a couple of nice, real nice right hands. And um, he was definitely the underdog because at that point, Keontae hadn't even been ranked. Uh, he hadn't been ranked at 178 pounds even. Uh, he, when, like I said, when they fought that fight, that kid was ranked at 165 worldly. Keontae was fighting at 178, but again, when they fought that fight, I think I believe he weighed in at like 169 that fight, and that kid was like 168 and a half. So they were really the same, you yeah. Know? And uh, that kid was fighting it, and when he was fighting a competition, he was fighting at 65, and he, Keontae, Keontae was still fighting at 78. But you know that that fight right there, that was another thing that proved to me. I says, "Wow, if I take him down to 65, 
Yeah, I already know. I already kid. know what he's done against a kid that was number three in the world. So that was a kind of another thing that it, like played in my mind during that time. And that's already that's already been over two. It's two years ago, right? 2016, maybe that was. I think so. And then, uh, so that was another thing that made me, you know, think about 65 for him, that he was able to compete at a world level that night, you know, and the kid was the same weight. I mean, they like I said they were, he was like 69, the other kid was like 68 and a half, 69 himself. So I said, man, that kid's making 65, and if we make 65, we know exactly where we are, you know. That's what I think. I think really, you know, like I said, if, if he was to stay amateur, I think at 165 pounds, he's only going to get better. I mean, I think he's going to be would be one of the favorites for the Olympics. Yeah. So, uh, you know, with that being said, you know, what I mean, we're we're just like I said, we're going to play this day to day and and see what comes our way as far as uh, offers and and then uh, try to work it out. Try to work it out either way. You know, we go for the Olympics. I mean, that's it'll be full blast for the Olympics. If we turn yeah. pro, it'll be full blast for the pros. I mean, either way, we're, we're we're in it to win it. I mean, we have no other goal other than to be world champion or Olympic gold, you know, yeah. one way or the other. Uh, he's definitely, um, he's in it for to be the best that he can be. And I think he's got a great potential. Um, just got to stay the course, man. Just got to stay the course. The process, like I said, I've been through it. I've been through it, uh, you know, many times. I've been at the top of the mountain. Oh, and yeah. I've been, and I've come a little short at times with some guys. Um, but, you know, I know what it takes to get to the top, and I know what it takes – I know what it takes, what's missing when you fall a little short, you know, so I've known both, both sides to it, and, uh, you know, I know the differences, and I know how, what it is, and, and, and if you look, if you look at history at 165-pound gold glove champions in the last 25 years, not all those guys make it to be a world champion, so it's not like I said, I told them it's like at the beginning, you know, if you get signed with, with a promoter, it's like a kid, you know, that gets a good GPA, Get, he's got a good high school diploma. He just got a great GPA yeah. and a great high school diploma. He's going to be able to get into a good university. But he's still, when he goes to that university, he's going to be have to go four or five years to get that degree, to get to that level, to that major level. He, he's not going right into the money. He's not going right into the level. A lot of people think he wins this, and now he's going to be – it doesn't work like that. You know, no, when you're – when you know that. When you're, yeah. a gold, when you're a gold medalist, maybe. More, it's going to be more. Even then, that doesn't mean much anymore. Even not anymore, it doesn't mean as much. You're a silver medalist, a bronze medalist, an Olympian. He's a national champion, which means that these guys that turn pro around here that don't have a national championship, they're basically like high school dropouts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're high school dropouts looking for a job. He received his diploma. He with a good GPA and a good SAT score. Now he's going to be able to get into a nice university. He's going to be able to get into that university and have an opportunity on getting a degree from and have that name and to get himself to go to that next level. Once he gets that degree, now we're in the world championship level. It's like, just like baseball, you got single A, double A, yep. triple A, and you got the major leagues. He's gonna, he's gonna skip, because he won the nationals, he's gonna skip single and double A ball. He's gonna go into triple A ball, trying to, four or five years, he's gonna be into the major leagues. Yeah. Then another couple more years, he's gonna be a superstar, like Alex Rodriguez. That's the goal, you know what I mean? Like guys like that, Barry Bonds, guys that are major league players. Like Mayweather's the major league, the NBA, he's the, he's the all-star, yeah. you know. Canelo, Alvarez, Golovkins, yeah. those yeah. are the stars, you know. But if you look at those guys, those guys turn pro, Bluff can turn pro in 2005. 
That's 13 years in now. That now he's become a star over the last three years, maybe. I was gonna say he was. Years. I remember watching you know. him on YouTube, like I don't right. know, and he wasn't heard right. of right. for another three and, and, and years. Sometimes, and sometimes that's hard for a kid, like to understand and I always try to educate him with that you know about how important it is to stay humble and stay the track because you know you have all these people around you that think that you're doing better than you are and, and then that sometimes you think you should be doing better than you are and it hurts your feelings that you're not maybe you know but if you got to look at like Floyd Mayweather was a bronze medalist in 1996 Floyd really didn't make major money until he fought Oscar De La Hoya in 2007 he made yeah. decent money, but Floyd was on the fast track because he had, had such an unbelievable amateur background. He really should have won the gold. He got robbed in the bronze. Yeah. And, and he turned pro. He was making a lot of money, but it was, I mean, he became world champion faster than a lot of guys. It was like less than three years. He was still years. in his 20s. Yeah, he was still in his 20s. But again, it didn't happen overnight. He had to fight his fours. He had to fight his, But he was world champion. He, he was one of the guys on the faster tracks. Yeah. But, I mean, if you get guys like Gennady Glovkin, really, you never heard of Gennady Glovkin. He turned pro in 2005. You didn't hear of Gennady Glovkin until 2012. Yeah. Over the last six years, is really since Glovkin's been 30 years old is when we really yeah. started to hear about Glovkin. And he, wasn't, I mean, he, was, he was the B-side when he made his HBO right. debut. So, I mean, he was basically a pro for six to seven years before you, he became that HBO star. I believe his first time on HBO was 2012. Yeah, it was against um – the Prosca, Polish guy. Prosca. Right. Who was supposed to be the guy. Right. And he just smashed and him. And he just smashed him. And I believe that was 2012, right? Yeah, it was around then. So, I mean, you're looking at 2012. He turned pro in 2005. You're looking at seven years before he became an HBO star. So, it doesn't happen overnight. And uh, that's the biggest thing, that you know, about staying humble. Um, because, you know, if you don't stay humble, you're going to get off track. You got to realize that that track is just not like I said. He he, you know what I mean. He's not. It's like I said. He he's he's got that diploma. He's getting to get into a university, but he's got to work for the next four or five years to get that bachelor's, to get that master's, yeah. and then he's got another two years or three years to get that PhD. The PhD is where the real money's at. You know. Oh, yeah. So that's the thing. You know, he's got four or five years to get a bachelor, then another year to get a master's, another two years to get a doctorate. So when you get the doctorate, that's when you're making real money. When you get the master's, that's when you're a world champion. Yeah. A lot of guys don't win, make major money the first when they win the world title. It's defending it and becoming a star. You know, I was always told as a young kid, you don't, you don't make major money winning a world title. You get a major money defending the world title. Yeah. You're not true champion until you defend. That's right. And that's, and that's true. When I had Spada four, I mean, the money that he made being world champion was nothing. But when he, be, when he became that champion and we defended it three or four times, the money went up significantly. Yeah. It's night and day with the money. I mean, the money went up times, times 12, times 10, you know. Yeah. So th those are the kind of things that, uh, you know, you have to know the process. Those are the kind of things that I have to can keep him grounded. Keep him, because I've had it. Like I said, I've had, been through this process where, you know, I've been to the top and I've come a little short. And when I come a little short, it's usually outside influences and the, and the athlete, his mind, the fighter, his mind goes somewhere else and he begins to basically feet come off the ground and they fly away. And you can't <laughs> say anything to them. Yeah. You can't tell them a thing. And, uh, that, you know, I've been in those situations where I couldn't even say anything because they couldn't hear it. You know what I mean? Because just, like I said, couldn't, couldn't stay the course and be humble. So. I, I, that's the biggest thing, man. That's the biggest thing. And uh, if that if he does what he's been doing, he's been following, 
you know, the plan and staying the course, man, I, I really think that he's going to be a star. I think he's got the potential to be the, a dominant middleweight, dominant super middleweight, light heavyweight. I think he got, he got the stature and the height and the reach to be able to go to light heavy and be dominant someday. First, our first goal, if we return professional, would be a, be the middleweight champion, then super middleweight, light heavyweight. Uh, you know, I, I think those three divisions, I think he can really excel at, um, and that's the goal. I think those three divisions are his divisions. Uh, we'll start off at middleweight, and at middleweight, I think that, uh, I mean, his stature and his height and his reach are, are are as big as anybody in history. I mean, forget about what's going on right now. I mean. It's hard to find a six foot three middleweight with a seventy nine and a half inch reach, with power in both hands. I mean that doesn't that doesn't happen. I mean yeah, you'd have a to, unique you, fighter. You'd have to really look in history to tell me who compares to that because I really don't think anybody compares to that. Uh, well, I you think know. like you mentioned, uh, Hearns is is the guy that jumps to mind. But, but Hearns, Hearns was believe it or not. I mean if you look on Boxrec, he was six one and a half, six yeah. one and three quarters, and his reach was uh, I believe his reach was seventy eight. He's got a little bit. He's a little taller. He got a little bit more reach and uh, thicker too. A little thicker, yeah. Hearns but yeah, like a, but that's that's about the biggest comparison because give it to Tommy. Tommy Hearns was a 147 pounder actually when he when yeah he, and he went up pro. all the way to light heavyweight. Yeah. So he yeah he, but he's yeah he's a little smaller than Keontae a little bit a little bit, but again Thomas Hearns did start at a lower weight class. So he he, he he's he's a big guy for middleweight. Uh, He's a bigger he's a bigger middleweight than Hearns would it was it when yeah. Hearns was a middleweight. You, you know? Pavlik was the other close one you should Pavlik me. was the one that was very close. Kelly was about Keontae's size. He was six two, he six was two and a half. Too. And he was a big hitter like Keontae. His reach was seventy five. Keontae's is seventy nine and a half. Just so measured yeah, it the other day. So he's got another four and a half inches in reach. That's really hard. Yeah, you're right. It is hard to find someone that really matches up like, hard to match him up with somebody in history really he's yeah. been that big at middleweight. So uh and I think he's got a better jab. Uh, you know, Kelly was a banger, but I don't think Kelly utilized that reach. Mm -hmm. He really didn't. I mean, he fought a little bit smaller. You know, he was in – he would put himself in the heat. I mean, he was always in the heat there to be hit at times, you know, but he was such oh, a yeah. big hitter. But he didn't utilize his reach uh, the way Keontae is able to do and the way we work on and we, we try to execute. And uh, I think that's going to be a huge asset as we move forward. I think he's going to be – very hard to deal with with that and like i said he's got punching power in both hands and he's got power and i mean all his punches i mean he throw he could he can knock you out with a with an uppercut a right hand a left hook a left hook to the body he's got a devastating jab so uh i think uh like i said we're gonna be ready to go we'll go back to work ready to be successful in whatever avenues we go yeah and seems uh, like you got a confident for sure absolutely all right, uh, thanks for uh, stopping by and spending the time. It was, uh, it was nice. It was a treat. Oh, yeah, sure. It was nice to meet you. Oh, thank, thank you for having me. Uh, again, congratulations on the uh, recent title and whatever comes your way. It seems like you two guys are confident, and I think, I think you will be successful. So good luck in the future, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again at some point here. Oh, yeah, we're going we to keep talking. Go hear some good things. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're back here, just me and Tom. We're going to talk about, since there's no big fights this weekend that I have come across, a couple minor IBO title fights and stuff, we're going to talk about uh, where we think boxing's at, just kind of uh, look at the game, um, what's the state of the game, 
the first thing uh, to kick it off, do you think in America uh, will, will boxing ever be looked at as a major sport again? Like it, maybe not the heights it was in the past because it was huge, but, you know, similar. Do you think it will ever get near that again? I think it could. I, I really do. I mean, like I said, you have some new promoter. Uh, Eddie Hearn is actually from the U.K. coming over here, going to start a new live streaming series uh, that's going to go on every month. Uh, we had the PBC going on there for a while. Uh, I, I noticed all I can tell you is that in my gym, I've had a lot more interest okay. of people wanting to, to do boxing. Um, definitely for sure, a lot more people wanting to take classes and learn lessons and do private sessions and uh, we've had more gyms actually open up in the area. Um, it's definitely a lot more public interest uh, in the sport as far as in my experiences in the past. So with that being said, I just think it's, it's going to become a lot more popular as these uh, – because I think, like I said, we had talked about Eddie Hearn is one of the top promoters in the U.K. as yeah. Anthony Joshua, who's the heavyweight champion. And he signed – also just signed Danny Jacobs. So – you're looking at a guy coming over here is only going to make the American-based promoters step up their game to even do more shows on their end to find other avenues through the, through the Internet and through other networks trying to uh, basically uh, negotiate and recruit other ne uh, networks to do boxing. I see. So everybody competing and really trying to keep up with pace with, Hearn, with, with what Eddie Hearn's going to try to do over here, I think that boxing is going to become – more seen on TV, and uh, I, I think with the with the internet and social media and all the ways to be able to market boxing, uh, and you have top promoters that you know have invested interest to do so. I think that it's going to reach a lot more people than it did in the past, and that's what I've noticed. Like I said, in my own gym, I've just had a lot more public interest as far as people just wanting to learn how to box and, and and i and i think that that's an indication that it could be on the rise again it seems like um that espn plus uh that it's at streaming device it seems like they're picking up a lot of fights that's where they had the uh lomachenko uh linares fight and they picked up jamie mcdonald who's a band away from the uk he fought a japanese kid a new way they picked that fight up. So it does seem like, uh, you know, you said with the Hearn streaming, it does seem like the streaming services may be a very good outlet for – and I know with that uh, ESPN Plus, it's like four ninety nine a month. So it seems like a lot of that maybe will push out the pay-per-views so you won't be getting as many pay-per-views, which I think will help the sport. Yeah, I think that – I think you're right. And I think that uh... – yeah, I mean, I was like ESPN, uh, top rank, got that series going. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mean, that, that, like I said before, they ESPN really wasn't throwing big shows. Like, they were throwing the Friday night fights, uh, that, but they it, weren't. Towards the end, that was awful. Yeah. It so, I think that that's, that's kind of a resurgence to doing, you know, to really make it more popular in the sport, being able to throw those show pa Manny Pacquiao on ESPN instead of being on yeah. pay-per-view. Yeah. And uh, uh, Vasily Lemonchenko just fought Laura Linares. So I think those are all positives in the right direction. And I know Crawford, I think he's fighting Horn on that ESPN Plus, too. Right, correct. Forgot about that. We yeah. were touching, too, upon earlier. Um, I don't understand how Deontay Wilder is not a, the biggest star in America. I mean, he's 40 and 0 with 39 knockouts. Yeah. He has a legitimate world title. He's coming off of a 
his fights are just fun. Yeah. You know, people, oh, he technically sucks and blah, blah, blah. But his fights are fun. He beat right. a Cuban who had a great amateur background. So, I don't – I mean, do you have any answers on why this guy isn't everywhere? Uh, I just think that it comes down to – I think people lost faith in American heavyweights, and I think that they just don't believe it. I think that uh, I mean, you haven't had a big Ameri- – I haven't had a great American heavyweight since Holyfield and Tyson, really. So I think that people basically just turned themselves off to believing that there was a heavyweight in America that actually was going to do something. I mean, I think that's, you know, some of, some of the, uh, the census that I have gotten from just boxing people that they're just waiting for him to get beat. They don't think he's for real. Uh, he continues to impress. He continues to win. And like you said, what I love about him, his, fun, his fights are fun to watch. Yeah, they're fun. And, and, he, and he's, got a, he's got that one-hitter quitter from down south, Alabama. He really man. does. And he's just something else. And I just hope they make the Joshua fight because it's going to be a ton of fun. I think that uh, it's got to be a knockout winner in that fight one way or the other. Oh, yeah, I would say so. And uh, I think that uh, I think you, you may have to make Joshua the favorite because I think he is a little bit more technically sound than Wilder. But Wilder could definitely knock him out. You've seen Vladimir Klitschko almost knock Joshua Very out. Very close. Uh, Klitschko, I think, is a little bit more seasoned at that point than, than Wilder, but not, not as young and not as youthful. So Wilder has that going for himself. Uh, he's shown a better – and he does get hit, but he's shown a pretty good chin in the Ortiz fight where he was able to recover. Yeah, that's, that shocked me a little bit. Yeah, recover and come back. So being that he's able to recover and come back like that, I mean, he's got a chance against Joshua to knock Joshua out. Because if Joshua doesn't get rid of him, if he's in there too long, he's always got that one-hitter, one-hitter quitter, man. He, and he's just fun to watch, he really is. Do you think uh, Joshua is the only way he becomes uh, a star is if he beats him? Is there any other heavyweight you look at where he beats and it propels him? Uh I, I, I don't think. I think he would have to beat Joshua. I think just the way, you know, the boxing world is and the way that it is. I mean, everybody's talking about that fight now. So I think that that, that would be the fight that would confirm him and that would be the fight that would solidify him as being, you know, a legitimate heavyweight American star like the past of Holyfield and Tyson. Yeah. I don't think anything else is, at this time is really going to be able to catapult him to that. So this that kind of because it seems like that fight's gonna get made. Um, it looks like they said Pavekin's next for Joshua, but it seems like both sides want to make that fight. You know, we were. Well, I look at it is we're kind of we were in the money era for a long time because of Floyd mainly. But is do you look at it as like this money era is finally coming to an end? You have guys like Lomachenko who he's has what twelve fights and he's a three time you know, three-weight champion. Uh, they're putting together a bantamweight tournament where I think three or maybe four of the champions are in. And then you have a cruiserweight tournament where the winner, you'll have an undisputed cruiserweight champion. And, you know, the Charlo brothers, it seems like they go out and they fight top competition. Uh, supposedly Porter Garcia's on the way. There's, I could keep naming them. Does it, to you, does it look like we're out of the money era and we're back into, I want to leave a legacy not just I want to get a big paycheck. Right. No, I, I think for sure. I think that uh, there's a lot of up-and-coming big fights, very, uh, you know, exciting boxers out there. 
that are really making a splash. I mean, I, I really enjoy Terrence Crawford. And I, and yeah, I he's like, another one. He fights yeah, the best. And I like Errol Spence, and I, and I like, uh, I mean, Garcia and Porter and Thurman. And, uh, yeah, they have a little round-robin going. Yeah, Vasily Lemonchenko. And I, I just think there's a lot of exciting boxers out there. Like you mentioned, there's some there's some big tournaments going to be going. Uh, I think there's just a lot of uh, a lot of exciting things going on in boxing. A lot of exciting fighters, and so I think that uh, I think that will be able to replace some of the uh, the big events that Floyd Mayweather had. Especially because you know, I mean, towards there, towards the end, I mean, Floyd's fights were not the most exciting fights. They no. were they were events that people enjoyed for sure, but. Uh, I think these guys that are fighting now are really are, uh, you know, very exciting, different styles. Uh, Spence is very – he's aggressive. Oh, I mean, yeah. He's not going to sit back and just box his way to a decision. I mean, he's there, and so is Thurman. I mean, Thurman can do it at sometimes. He does move, and move, like he did the Garcia fight, it felt like he could have finished a little stronger. But uh, he's an exciting fight. He got a big punch, so he's, he's always there. To knock some, and you can always always score a knockout, which is knockouts are exciting. And oh, yeah. Danny Garcia is very a very exciting fighter. And he kind of got that Floyd thing going. People don't like him, so people tune in to watch him lose. He almost has that going for him too. Garcia, yeah, yeah, I believe you're right. Yeah, yeah. I think so as well. And then, and then you got Sean Porter, who just brings it 100 percent every time he fights. I mean, he's a guy that just is gonna. I mean, when he fought Andre Berto and he fought. Uh, I'll never forget how he chucked Pauly. Oh, yeah, that right? That was brutal. For sure, man. And uh, he's just a uh, very strong fighter, very exciting fighter. Vasily Lemonchenko, he's just a, he's just a joy to watch on the, as far as the art of boxing. And really, you, as a coach and a trainer, you sit back and you just watch him. And you really, really like to – you enjoy that. I mean, that's just like an artist drawing a painting. There, there's – I mean – Painting a picture, man. But I say I'll be 29 this year, so I've been watching boxing say 15 years. There's very few fighters I've ever watched where I don't fully understand what I'm seeing, and like literally, I mean that's literally how he is. As someone who's I've never gotten a ring, never done nothing. I'm just a yeah. fan of boxing. He's a guy where like someone needs to sometimes tell me what he's doing because I don't understand it. Right. That's how good he is. For sure. I mean, like I was like we were talking earlier about you know stuff we. I've, uh, when I work with Keontae, you know, we don't ever really try to mimic another guy's style completely, but we steal little things. And he's one of those guys that you can watch uh, multiple times and steal multiple things off of him because he does so many, so many tactical and technical good things in there, great things. And uh, he's really uh, somebody to watch to really learn, you know, and be able to learn something if you're a young fighter, certain things that. I mean, certain styles, like his kind of style. I mean, if you have that kind of style to start with, uh, you, he can definitely, by watching him, you have a lot of stuff that you can take from him and add to your boxing game. So, yeah, he's definitely somebody to watch. I mean, he's he's a tremendous, uh, tremendous talent. So, piggybacking on that, you know, we think that kind of the money era is coming to a close. Guys are going to start fighting. Um, I watch, besides boxing, you know, I, I watch some MMA, some kickboxing, Muay Thai, stuff like that. A zero is, means absolutely nothing. And, you know, the, the best heavyweight kickboxer got 12 losses. Right. Do you think, you know, these guys are going to start fighting? Is the O in boxing going to 
And I mean, even in boxing, you know, you look back 50, 60 years, they said you haven't fought anyone until you had a loss. Right. Do you think that's going to go back to that where you're going to have not so many undefeated guys, but it's not really going to matter? Or does the O always matter? I mean, the O, I think the O is always something that matters in goals to guys. But, I mean, if you look back, like you said, I mean, when Hearns and Duran and Hagler and Leonard were fighting, I mean, they all, they had a round robin going there and there was losses and there was losses. You know, each guy had a few losses and uh, uh, they had losses sometimes early in their career and, they, and then they attained greatness as time went on. And uh, I think that those fights there, whether they had the O or not, all four of those guys are go in the all-time great oh, category. Sure. I mean, they're right there with Floyd Mayweather. I mean, you have people that argue that they were better than Floyd what Mayweather. What makes them all-time greats is they all fought each other. That's well, what makes them all-time makes, greats. Exactly, exactly. And I, and I feel like, uh, I mean, I was, I mean, I, I mean, a lot of people, you know, today, and kids today, and people today are always Floyd's the greatest of all time. I mean, me, no. I think he's a great fighter, but I don't believe he was. No. Um, and like I said, I mean, Sugar Ray Robinson used to fight every week, and Harry Greb, he fought actually oh. 46 times in two years. Yeah. Floyd fought 50 times in his whole career, and Greb was like uh, 40, like 46 fights. I think he was like 45 and one, and and he fought those 46 fights in two years. And he, I, I take that back. I, I'm not positive. If I'm not mistaken, he didn't lose in, a, in a, from a 1919. 2000 and uh, 1919 1920 I believe he fought 46 times and won all 46 That's it was 46 and 0 yeah. Sugar Ray Robinson was uh, 40 and 0 he lost to Jake LaMotta and then he won another 91 straight yeah he was 131 and 1 at one time so it's hard to just think that or it's hard to uh, or I, I would disagree with just being undefeated is the is the main yeah, factor. That's... It's who you fight, how frequent you've been fighting, and how, uh, the competition that you're fighting, on uh, uh, what kind of basis, and how frequent it's you know how frequent it was. And I mean, uh, Floyd may be the best of this era. Yeah, maybe. But I agree. It's you almost can't compare. Like you said, how do you compare a guy who fought 46 times in one year, who probably fought world champions, guys that were going to win world champions, guys that were top 10 ranked to a guy that fought 50 times in his life. Like, right. it's, it's not the same thing. Not at all. Um, I mean, as a trainer, you know how hard fights can be. I mean, Floyd made it fights easier, you know, because of his great defense and things that he did. But, you know, competition's everything. I mean, it's all in who you're fighting. You know, I, I, you know, I think, you know, Floyd's a great fighter. There's no way taking that away from him. But, you know, he had close fights against Oscar De La Hoya that a lot of people thought could have won either way. And when he fought Oscar, Oscar wasn't in his prime. No. Oscar was nowhere near his prime. So what, what happens to him against Oscar in Oscar's prime? And that's why I say I, I don't, sometimes when these guys just talk and talk and talk about it, he's the greatest of all time. I mean, when you see him fight Jose, uh, Jose Luis Castillo as a lightweight, that That's, first, I, I personally think he lost that first fight. That, that fight right there was uh, so close, and I, and I thought he lost the fight. I mean, uh, a lot of people thought that the fight could have went either way, but the bottom line is Jose, Jose Luis Castillo was never the lightweight that Roberto Duran was. No, so, he, yeah. you know what I mean? So, like, you can make all kinds of reasons why, you know, Floyd Mayweather's not the greatest fighter of all time. Uh, 
you know, e even, you know, like I said, uh, the Maidana fight first time was relatively close. Yeah, I thought he won, yeah. but it was close. But I thought he won the fight. But, um, you know, again, Maidana is, is you know, he's, he's no uh, – He's no Duran either. No, you know? yeah. He's no Roberto Duran. He's no Sugar Ray Leonard. No. He's no Marvin Hagler. Marvin Hagler was heavier, so we won't really throw Marvin Hagler out at you. But, uh, I mean, Pernell Whitaker was great. I mean, there's a lot of guys that were just great. Chavez was great. I don't, I don't think that uh, he'd had – if he was able to – if he was in an era where he had to fight multiple guys like Duran, Hearns, and Leonard had to do, and he had to fight oh, those yeah. guys of that caliber. He's not on undefeated. A, on a consecutive ba on a you know consecutive fight basis, you know that durability and being able to be consistent at that level, it's hard for me to agree that he would have been able to be undefeated. Yeah, you know I, mean? I agree so, too. I agree with that too. A um, couple quick things, you know, boxing has its issues. Um, do you think? My, my big thing is with judging. I think there should be more judges. Like you said earlier, there's five in the, in the amateurs. amateurs. I think probably five in the pros would be, would be a good number. I also think, um, I, which I don't know why, but I feel like ex-fighters, trainers should be judges. I feel like, obviously, they understand the sport really well. And I also think maybe you remove the judges from the, the side of the ring, put them in a room, you know, by themselves with a muted TV, so they can see everything that we see. A couple of things I think of, but do you think, like, should there be more judges? You know, do you think they should try to get fighters and trainers, ex-fighters, ex-trainers? And do you think maybe removing them from ringside where the crowd can't influence them and where they would have a better? Because judges, you know, they're all seeing something different. Would it help if they all saw the same thing? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the reason it's so hard to see the, sa the the same thing is because, you know, you have a squared you have a squared ring there, and so you have judges on in the amateurs. You have five judges. You have one on each side. So when you have one on each side, uh, I take that back. You have one on each side, and then you have a fifth judge. So you have two on one side. You have one on on the other three sides. Yeah. So depending upon how the fight's going on in the ring. There's certain things that are certain sides of the ring you don't see. I you may can, see a back and another guy sees a side, so a punch right. lands, I don't see it. You don't see and it. And two other guys do. Right, so that's why the judging is so hard. You know, my thing was if you had a squared, or you have a squared ring, you have, if you wanted to do five judges, somehow you would do one on each side of the ring and you would elevate the other one to look from that view over top. That's a, yeah, yeah, I like that. That's a good idea. And, and, and or either that, or like you said, put them in a box and in in up in the arena and in in with a TV room with a muted te television. That would be your fifth judge. Uh, that would be possible. You know, the biggest thing with hiring trainers and boxers to beat, and it's why some of these guys are not don't have any past experience. It's just a simple fact of the state of the game and the sport. You know, you're always can find uh, you know somebody to help with football or basketball that had experience because it's a high school sport and everybody a lot of people so many more people have played football or played yeah, basketball true. or played baseball so you don't have the mass you don't have that mass production of those people you don't have a lot of people that were in boxing so it's hard to find people you you find people that love the sport and that's what what you end up with you know a lot of times you don't end up with ex-fighters or ex-thing because 
you may end up with a lot of ex-fighters and ex, but, but there's so many boxing matches going on. So the, the number of boxing matches to the number of people that participate in the sport, that have been in the sport, as a, participate as a judge or a referee, it's hard to come up with that because you, uh, like I said, it's, there's, there, the numbers are not there like they are in the other sports. I mean, everybody has played, and for the most part, some, at some level in high school, even though I didn't, most kids have played baseball. Most yeah. kids have played football. Yeah. You know, I actually did play baseball. I didn't play football. But, you know, how many – you can go to all these schools and ask how many kids box. I mean, the yeah. number, it's nowhere near close to the other sports. So, as adults, you just don't have that many – you don't have the number, the pop – you don't have the, the numbers to pick from to get what you – you know, the thing that you were talking about. They always have those referees and judges. There's just not enough – there's just not enough participants. Or at least take – Maybe maybe not for everywhere, but these bigger fights, you know, you get a guy right. that and you didn't have, you know, you don't have to be a former world champion or even a guy that was a pro, just right. somebody. Because like I said, you know, I'm a fan. I've followed boxing, you know, I've covered it, but I've never been in the ring. So there are right. things, me and you can watch a fight and we can see totally different things because right. you understand it at a level that I just don't. Right. So maybe for the bigger fights, get these guys that really understand what they're looking at. Right. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, and then it, it comes down, it's just like even in the amateurs, you know, a lot of people are complaining and complaining about the judges and we should have, these judges should have experience to be able to judge. Well, the only, the only problem with that is if you put that criteria that the only people that are allowed to judge those fights have to have experience of being a fighter or, you know, or a coach or a fighter, you won't have judges. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. first of all, they're not getting paid. No. And the amateurs, it's basically volunteer. You're lucky if some guys get, give you money for gas. You know, for the most part, it's volunteer. So you're asking someone to volunteer. And then, in other words, you want all these things, but then, you know, you want all these things, but it's not possible because there's no money to be paid. You know, there, there, there's just little resources to attain what you desire. You know, you, you can't – there's not that many – like I said, there's not that many participants that do have the experience that are willing to do it for free. Basically, there's no infrastructure to make it – To make it happen. To make, and like you said, it's not profitable. It's not. So, you know, that's, that's the thing. You know, you, if, you, if, you put, if you put all those criteria and all those things, you know, the people would have to have credentials to be that, you just won't end up with the judges. I mean, you, you end up not having – you just – fights wouldn't happen. Yeah, that's, to, that wouldn't be to, good. That wouldn't be good. You know, so you know, yeah, it's it's a hard it's a hard uh, thing. The state of the game would have to develop and evolve over the over years to be able to get that. Like we're talking about the state of the game, is boxing going to become bigger? If it becomes bigger, then again, you will be able to change other things if you're able to get that state of the game yeah. at a higher level. You know. So I think that's where we're at right now. It's almost like it is what it is certain, to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, like I said, yeah, the big fights, yeah, I, I definitely agree should be, you know, but I, I've been in it long enough that, you know, I just feel like you, you accept it the way it is and you just do your best as a coach and you can't complain about the judges. That's why I always, you know, that's why, you know, I love, like Keontae, I love working with him because I believe that every time we get in there, we got a chance on taking the judges right out of the equation. Yeah, that's and knocking good. the guys out, you know. And uh, so, 
I mean, it's just something that's, man, it's almost like you have to have thick skin and accept your situation. It's the sport that you chose as a fighter and as a trainer. And, and you, it's never changing. And, and it's hard to get it to change. It's, yeah. it, the state of the game will have to change and evolve over years where there's more participants, more people participating in boxing, and then you will have a better choice of selection of judges. You know, yeah, people more experienced. We'll be done and gone before that ever happens. I think it could happen, though. And, you think? And, and I think I, I don't. I, I don't think that would be the case. I, I think I don't think that's the case. I, I think that, like I said, I think you got some things going on, where, uh, you got Eddie Hearn coming on. You got these other guys coming on. And I said I see more popularity coming to gym. I think more people want to take personal lessons. More classes have gone on. Other gyms have opened boxing gyms. So I, I think the, the sport is on the upswing. Uh, and then I think, you know, over time that could evolve in, into having more judges and ha having people with more experience be able to take those roles as judges and referees. So I, I don't think, I think that it's uh, something that's not uh, possible even in, you know, even in the next, you know, 20, 25 years, I think you might be able to solve some of the things you're talking about. Yeah. You know? uh, but I don't, I don't think, yeah. And I don't see I don't see it in the next 10, 15, no. you know, next 20. That's a big, you know, judging and decisions and things. That's I feel like that turns a lot of people off from the sport. And that is the thing. It's you're trying to build a sport and trying to build popularity yeah. and then you have bad decisions and then it turns people away from the sport and yeah. frowns it against it, you know. So, yeah, it is hard. It's a very difficult sport. It's so subjective and I, I you know, it's so hard. It really is. I mean, yeah, like you said, it's so subjective. You watch a football game, a team scores 31, a team scores 30. 30. The team that scored 30 lost. Right. You watch boxing, and it kind of drives me nuts. Every fight that's close is now a robbery. It's not like, you know, a close fight. A close fight to close fight. Right. But, you know, you get fights where, you know, 50 people watching, 25 may say this guy won, 25 may say this one, and nobody's right. really wrong. Right. It just, right. it's a close fight. It's a close fight, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, some of the things you were talking about as far as the judges and being, I mean, some of those things could be solutions, you know. I, 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 I just, I mean, try it. What's, try what's, what's the harm? What's the harm of trying it? Right. That's what I always think. For sure. Like the, um, you know, like with the instant replay, you know, I don't – is it really instituted anywhere where you can, like, look to see if a cut was – I know. I don't lie. I mean, it's there. Use it. Exactly. I don't understand I, that. I was just about to mention that. I mean, there's so many times where they, they, these, these referees, they mess it up saying – I mean, and that being, had, that's a hard job, you know. Yeah, sure it is. And, and, and that without instant replay, how many times have guys said that – a headbutt was a cut was opened by, by a punch when it was opened by a headbutt. Yeah. And the guy can lose it on a technical knockout because of it. You know? Yeah. So yeah, I think the instant replay on situations that should come into play. Um, you know, between rounds, uh, something like that should be able to be reversed. I mean, yeah, you get a minute. Right. You can clearly these HBO guys they pull up, you know, replays how fast you can pull up and right. have. Whoever look a judge or have someone look at it, it doesn't seem that hard. It doesn't seem hard. I, I think that there's a lot of those situations should be able to be reversed. Speaking of reverses, uh, last question here. If we talk about the state of the game, do you think this is a slippery slope? I thought about not even asking this, but I'm going to anyway. It's a good topic, I think. Bad decisions, like you get a guy where 
uh, let's say Manny Pacquiao, Timothy Bradley. Nobody thought Timothy Bradley won, but Timothy Bradley won. Um, do you think they should be able to go back and look at that and maybe reverse it, not to a Manny Pacquiao win, but maybe like a no contest and maybe like see maybe just switch it to a no contest because I was saying maybe no contest with a rematch but just say it's a no contest because the judges got it wrong that opens up a can of worms that's though, my man. thought that's slippery but it's very slippery but you know I'm going to tell you about that fight the fight was so strange that fight I'm going to give you I sat ringside live for that fight okay I was training Roy Jones at the time okay and he was working for HBO, and I went, yeah. to, when I went to Vegas for the fight. We, we were training for a fight, so I, I trained him in Las Vegas at the time. Uh, and then, you know, he would get me HBO pass to go to the fight. Okay, so I yeah. had a real nice seat for that fight. I was right, basically right behind press row, a uh, little bit off, not directly in ringside, but from, you know, from maybe the, or that refrigerator or the back of this room, you know, maybe, what, 40, 50 yeah, feet. Yeah. I watched that fight in the arena. And I thought that that Pacquiao won nine or ten rounds. Yeah, I, on TV it appeared that way. Nine or ten rounds, I thought that. And and that's funny you say on TV because when I watched the replay on TV, I had it seven five Pacquiao. So believe you, it or not. Yeah, so you had him winning, but a lot closer. Yeah, I had it a lot closer. So you know, it's so crazy how sometimes when you know the outcome, your mind sees things differently. Boxing is just so. Even the way our human eye works and the human brain or what, how we're expecting something or maybe we know the outcome or something or what, you know what I mean? Why I watched it the second time even though I knew the outcome and I was seeing things that Bradley was doing in them rounds and I was like, wow, I missed that when they were fighting live. So, you know, it's hard to reverse something once it's done, you know, and then you go back because there's so many things you can miss and go and look at and say, but I mean, the, the, the job of the referee and the judge or the job of the judges and the referee is to call it in real time yeah. live. Yeah. So you can't, you know what I mean? Because I'm saying to myself, wow, when they announced the decision, I'm like, that's, are you serious? <laughs> then when I went back and I watched it, I said, this is 7-5. Which 7-5 is... Almost a draw. And yeah. the one round, and the one round I watched and I was like, I had to watch it a couple times and I said, okay, I'll give it to Pacquiao, but... Someone gave it to Bradley. We got yeah, a draw. Yeah, you're you know? not mad about it. Yeah, so that fight there was so deceiving and watching it two times and getting different scores like that. And uh, I've actually done that on other occasions. So that's why it's really hard for me uh, to see them be able to do something like that, reverse it after, because you can always get a different, second, uh, a different score watching it a second time, but it's like calling an M, like in, in baseball, calling something live, and then, you know, I mean, do they have the instant replay in, in baseball now? Yeah, but it's only on certain things. That, that, yeah. It would be equivalent to your calling a, a strike, ball. a ball yeah. and a strike. You strike a guy out, and then you go, no, I want to look at that right. over. Right, it's even the basically next, equivalent. Even the next day, I'm going to yeah. come back and call balls and strikes different. Yeah, yeah. You know, so – when I watch that fight, and there's other fights, I've actually watched in the amateurs. Even recently, one of the fights that Keontae fought a year ago, I really thought we got robbed. I mean, robbed, robbed. And I watched the fight another time, and I had to say, you know what? There's a lot of things he could have did better, and I'm looking at this fight now. I still think he won the fight. But man, it ain't as bad as I thought. Yeah, it wasn't a blowout. When we, when, yeah, when we were, I was sitting there, I live, I say to myself, 
there's no way possible anybody could see it any different, you know? It's watching the second time. I had to look at it and, and try to be as subjective as I could, and, uh, and, and it was a closer fight. So I tell you, man, watching a fight one time live and watching the fight on a replay, you can definitely you can see different. things different things, you know? So, you know, it's just human error, man, human error. It happens in every sport. How many, oh, times, yeah. how many times it happened in the NFL? You get these hmm. calls, you know? But so. see, then, you, you know, you talk about the NFL. They overcomplicate it now. There's almost a, a, there's a point to where you don't want to overcomplicate it. Right. Because they don't even know what the catch is anymore, and it's awful. <laughs> it is so bad. I mean, you look at the Steelers when they lost to the Patriots. Yeah. They called that not a, not a touchdown. And then what was it, a week later? Yeah, they said it was a catch. They said the other They one, changed the rule. They said the other one, yeah, it was a catch. I can't remember what game it was. It was the Patriots game. Patriots the Patriots game. went their way. Went their way. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And they called it a touchdown. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 something that's, uh, you know, very hard to come up with the solutions. And they're, like we said earlier, there's almost no solution. It's just boxing is a subjective sport right. that unless you're going to go, all right, we're going to fight until you get knocked out, you're never, you know, it's it's just it is what it is. It's subjective. It is yeah, it's objective. Yeah. What do you What do you think about like you know, uh, which I don't. They go twelve because no one wants to do thirteen because it's unlucky or whatever. Right. What do you think almost like you know we have a draw go to a thirteenth round? I like that. I love that. Because I know um, I love that. kickboxing will do that. They'll it's, they it's in a tournament that. format, but it's they used to do it. It's like they do three rounds. If it's tied, you go to the you go to a fourth round for sure. And uh, I love that one. I think that one should be implemented. Um, you know, when we had 15 rounders, there were draws, but there were less of them because it was an odd number. You can go 6-6, six, six, you got yourself a draw, you know what I mean? Yeah, I never so, understood the whole 12 rounds. Yeah, so, I mean, you're on an odd number. You got to go 6-6, six, six, you got yourself a draw. I mean, uh, with, with, with the uh, 15, you know, you had 8-7 most of the time. You know, I, I can understand why they cut back from the 15, but I feel like, do you just not do 13 because 13 is an unlucky number? Like, what's – I, I don't know the reason. I think that just I think that uh, there was just too many injuries to, at 15. You know, guys were. Well, it was after the death yeah, of uh, and, and the I Mancini think, fight. I, I think 13, three, two, dropping two wasn't enough. It was about dropping three. But you know, if if you're looking at rounds, I mean, guys winning rounds. I mean, you're always going to have. You know, it'd be like a four. It'd be like a four-round amateur fight. Two yeah. and two, two and yeah. two. You need that odd number to have that winning round for the most part, unless guys are scoring knockdowns and you have different ways of scoring the fights. But when you got a, fights that are 10-9, 10-9, 10-9, you're going to have a lot of 6-6s, six you know? Yeah. So I, I, I think that uh, that extra round, like you're saying, I love that. I think that's – I think that would bring a tremendous – forget about it. We don't need these draws. We need more excitement. We need more fan base. We it's need, almost like we when – We need more winners. You don't need draws, you know? When I think hockey brought in the um – Shootout. I know a lot of people complain about it, but the fans loved it. It was exciting, right. and that's what a thirteenth, you know, winner takes all. So you're going to have to be aggressive. You're going to have to, you maybe have to fight outside of what you want to do, but it's going to be right. exciting for sure, for sure. And I love that idea. I think that that's something that should be implemented. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that they used to do that on ESPN. Back in the day. I think they did because they had that ESPN title. They had a, when he had, yeah, if you fought for the ESPN title, they would have it would be a ten. It was a ten round title fight. Yeah. And then they would have a sudden death round. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. People love that. You know, people love that, and I, I think that that's something they definitely should bring back. 
Yeah, I agree. I uh, either that or just make fights eleven or thirteen. You know, I don't. I I'm not. Wouldn't be crazy about taking a round away, but yeah, right. just make them thirteen, and then yeah, you solve the problem. All right, though. We've been going at this about almost two hours now, so. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for the time. Uh, what we got going on next is um, we actually have June 8th at Rivers Casino. We have. Oh, that's uh, a good card. That's a good card. Is and, he uh, fighting? Um, is the main event Conway and Matt Conway? Yes. Is he fighting? Is that the Jose Ramirez that fought Lomachenko? Exactly. In his prior debut. Exactly. Okay, I thought so. Exactly. So that's a good fight. That is a good fight. Uh, real good fight. Um, and they're going to have uh, one amateur bout, and I trained Danny Boda. She's going to be fighting the amateur okay. bout at the beginning. He's fighting. Adil Mason from Cleveland. He actually fought in the National Golden Gloves. He's the he's oh, the, okay. he was the uh, Cleveland Golden Glove champion, and he fought down in the Nationals. And he and he won uh, he won the first night, I believe. He lost the second night. He was in, lost in the second round okay. of the National Golden Gloves. But a very good boxer, Southpaw, um, very slick kid, and uh, I think that uh, Danny's style and his style pretty much clash because this kid. He's slick, but he stands in the pocket, and Danny's in the pocket at you, you know, go at you in your face yeah. kind of fighter. So and Danny, Danny's going to be going at him, and this kid's going to try to box, but he's the kind of kid that does stay in the pocket. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he won't move like crazy move around the circle. So it makes for an action-packed fight for sure. Okay. And then you got anything going on in the gym here? Any? Oh, I got a lot of stuff going on. We got classes here every night, uh, Monday through Thursday from 6.30 to 7.30. We got the kids from um, Tuesday, Thursday, 5.30 to 6.30. That's stay off the streets, right? Stay off the streets. Okay. And then Saturday morning, 10.30 to 11.30, uh, we have the kids. And then we have the uh, teenagers and adults from uh, 11.30 to 12.30. So we got uh, six days a week, uh, five, I'm sorry, five days a week we have, we have classes. We have classes through uh, Monday through Thursday and then Saturday mornings. All right. Thanks for the time. Uh, we will be back at hopefully soon. soon, sooner rather than later. All right. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for having me on.